The third mansions. Why does she call it mansions? The third mansions. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, maybe it's a mistranslation. Maybe it's a misunderstanding on my part. To those who, by the mercy of God, have overcome in these combats, and by dint of perseverance, have entered the third mansions, what shall we say but blessed is the man that fears the Lord? As I am so stupid in these matters, it's been no small thing that His Majesty should have enabled me to understand the meaning of this verse in the vernacular. She seems pretty sure of herself. I look at things and I go, well, maybe I understand some of it, but maybe not. And I think the thing is, I look at Revelation as an ongoing thing. I don't look at it as a one-time thing. Like, oh, well, God revealed this to me. Well, yeah, but what's he going to reveal next? We don't learn anything completely. Everything we learn. Those of you who know how to read and write, think back to when you were learning how to read the letters. A, B. Remember the big pencil they gave you and the paper with the big lines and you wrote on those A, 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 whole lines. We learned one letter at a time. We started to slowly put together small words. That's the way we learned. So you could say to be educated is to have light where you once had darkness, to have knowledge where you once had ignorance. And it doesn't all happen all at once. And in my opinion, neither does revelation. Now, that does not mean that a revelation is not complete when something is revealed. The letter A is complete when it's revealed, but there's more. There are 25 more letters in the alphabet that you have to get revealed to you. And then you have to understand them. And that's the next part of Revelation. So to have something revealed to you is one thing. To understand it, that's an entirely different matter. But then to think that that's the end of it, it'll never happen, it'll never be any more. I think that's just silliness. Of course, God is going to reveal more as we are ready for it. I think I have scriptural backing for this. When Jesus says, I have many more things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll take from what is mine and he'll show it to you. Clearly, the revelation has got to be ongoing. That's clear to me anyway. If it's not clear to you, well, then it's not clearly, obviously. She says, we shall certainly be writing, calling such a man blessed, for unless he turns back, he is, so far as we can tell, on the straight road to salvation. We're going to have to find out more about what this third mansions is before we can understand that. Here, sisters, you will see the importance of having overcome in your past battles. For I'm convinced that the Lord never fails to give a person who does this security of conscience, which is no small blessing. I don't know how you feel about security of conscience. If you even think about it, what does that mean? What is security of conscience? It means to have a secured conscience. How can you have a secured conscience? Well, you have right conscience. That is the conscience that is based on the word of God. Conscience that is based on the faith of God. Not conscience that is based on changing, shifting things out here like the sands of the desert. We're talking about something that's eternally the same. That is a secured conscience. That's a conscience that's been secured to the truth. Hope like an anchor, secured to the truth. You are secured to the truth in many ways. In many ways, you are not. In many ways, you're still arguing with the truth. You notice that, how you, well, I'm not sure about that yet. Well, I don't know about, I haven't understood that. I'm not sure. You're arguing with the truth. That's what it really is. 
If you don't like that, that you're arguing with the truth, if you don't like me saying that, say, okay, well, then I'm doing something else. Make yourself happy. Don't fight me. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm not interested in making you believe something. I'm interested in giving you an opportunity to see beyond what you usually see. If that's problematic for you, then don't do it. That's all there is to it. There are billions of people in the world today who don't embrace the truth. They don't do it. And the reason that they don't do it is because they're not interested in it. It doesn't fit their story. I'm so sick of hearing the narrative, the narrative. I'll just change that to the story. You know what a narrative is? It's a story. That's all it is. But, you know, everybody's so crazy about using the politically correct speech, about saying the buzzwords and the jargon. Can't you think for yourself? It's a story. No, it's a narrative. It's a story. You know, it's like C.S. Lewis said about you know, the reason he was having trouble. He's fighting Christianity. He was fighting Christianity. This is what people do. They fight Christianity. Think about it. People have always done that. Christianity survived in spite of the genocide that the world attempted to commit on Christians. Hello? It was the same thing with the Jews. The same thing. Why is it that people who follow God are persecuted so much? Why is that? If you look at the church, her church, this woman's church, the Roman Catholic Church, they persecuted more Christians than non-Christians ever persecuted. They wiped out the Anabaptists. They wiped out these people. They wiped out those people. They had their inquisitions. These were mad lads. They had some really strange ideas about what Jesus would do. I just finished reading Sheldon's book, In His Steps, and this preacher, Henry Maxwell, decided one day, somebody asked him, what would Jesus do? And he was really sincere. Is this what Jesus would do? Would he be allowing people to starve to death when you had something you could give them, share with them, and it wasn't, gonna, wasn't such a great sacrifice for you, and you could keep somebody alive and keep somebody clothed? What would Jesus do? The answer is so obvious that people won't even ask the question. The answer is so condemning, so convicting, so obvious that we dare not even ask the question. Because if you do ask a question, then you're really in trouble. Then you start thinking. And then you start thinking, well, what's it going to cost me? Because you know, everything about what Jesus would do is going to cost you. Go and visit people in prison. That's going to cost you. Go and visit people in the hospital. That's going to cost clothe people. That's going to cost you. Feed people. That's going to cost you. When you start to think about why we don't want to ask, what would Jesus do? The answer becomes very clear. It's a problem. And we don't want to deal with the problem. We'd rather avoid it, if possible. And for thousands, well, I won't say thousands, but, well, yeah, I will. I will say thousands. For thousands of years, the church has avoided the question. Not the whole church, but the varied, many-faceted churches of Christianity. They decided, rather than decide what would Jesus do about this situation, why don't we just make our whole religion about baptizing people? And we'll make it about, you can only dunk them. You can't sprinkle them. You have to dunk them. They have to be fully immersed underwater. And then we'll make our whole religion about that. I only have to say about that, well, what about Philip? Here he is trotting along you know, alongside this chariot. This guy, he's uh, Ethiopian, I guess he was. And, and he's reading Isaiah. He's reading from a scroll. Isaiah, while well, he's going along. Philip says, well, do you understand what you're reading? He says, well, how can I understand it? There's nobody to teach me. And then he starts to explain to him. 
So the guy goes, well, here's some water here. What should stop me from being baptized? They're in a desert. You understand this. There's not a lot of water. It's not like, well, let's go to the deep end of the pool, you know, where it's 10 feet deep. No, it's not like that. Was he totally immersed? Do you think God really cares? Well, then you're at odds with a whole religion, with a whole group of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who believe you must be fully immersed in water or else you can't be saved. Jesus never said that. Nobody ever said that except these people. Somebody arguing with somebody else about something. And rather than ask, what would Jesus do? We ask, I think they should be fully immersed. No, I think it's okay to sprinkle. No, it's not. You have to be fully immersed. And then what will they do? They'll start to fight with each other. And it'll come to blows. And then they'll burn each other's churches down. And then after that doesn't work, then they'll start killing them. Because that's what Jesus would do. I'm sorry, but I look at Christianity and I think, what? How could you possibly think that you are following, that you are disciples of Jesus Christ, that you have disciplined yourselves to follow Jesus Christ, to take up your cross daily, every single day, and follow him? How could you possibly think that you're doing that? It's wonderful because we can imagine anything. We can believe anything. It doesn't have to be true. That's the great thing about us. We can believe something that isn't true. When you think about why is that? Well, because we've been given free will. Because God trusted what he put inside of us. He trusted that if we cared at all, we could find it, follow it, listen to it, be guided by it. And if we didn't, then perhaps we were the brute beasts prepared for destruction. I think I read somewhere that God made some people wicked. Maybe it's not that. But anyhow, he made the wicked for destruction. And I think, well, what? Like he knows they're wicked people out here? Like he knows who's wicked and who's not? Well, he can see the heart and we can't. So he can see a wicked heart before it actually manifests. Just like if you're out in the field, you can see, well, who planted these tares in our wheat? You can see the difference. You know, somebody who knows can see the difference. And he says, well, what do you want us to do about that? Should we tear out the tares? No, no, you're allowed to tear out the wheat with it. Let them grow up together and separate them at harvest time. There you go. The wicked are growing up together with us, the not so wicked. Don't get me wrong. I think that we're pretty wicked, but I think this journey is very simple. Take the interstate out there, whichever interstate you like. I don't care which one, whatever one you like. I don't go to either one of them. I mean, there's one over there and one over there. And there's probably a bunch of others too. But I don't care about any of them because I don't want to go anywhere. Where I want to go, there is no interstate. It's called the way. That's where I want to go. And I am on the way to where? I'm on the way to meet my maker. You are too, but you don't know it. Everybody is, but they don't know it. Oh, they know it from time to time. They think, oh, oh, I can, someday I'm going to have to meet my maker, but not today. Well, I don't know that. And I enjoy living one day at a time. I enjoy knowing that each breath that I take brings me closer to my last breath. I think like that. Those are the kinds of thoughts that I have on a daily basis. That's how I think. I don't know how other people think, but I have noticed that they don't appear to be thinking like that. And from my point of view, that's a tragedy because that's the only sensible way to think because it's reality. Anyway, they kill each other rather than ask themselves, what would Jesus do? Could you feature Jesus pouring molten lead in somebody's ears? Can you picture Jesus gouging out somebody's eyes to make them believe or to make them confess that they're sinners? Can you picture that? If you can, 
you got some other Jesus. This is not the Jesus Christ that I follow, know, and love. And if you got some other Jesus, well, okay, well then have some other Jesus, but don't say it's Christianity, because it's not. She's convinced that the Lord never fails to give a person who does this security of conscience, which is no small blessing. I say security, but that's the wrong word. For there is no security in this life. So whenever I use it, you must understand the words, unless he strays from the path on which he has set out. See, I do believe there's security in this world. As long as you don't stray from the path, you'll be secure. A thousand shall fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Why? Well, because you've taken refuge in the Lord. But if you don't take refuge in the Lord, or if you leave that refuge, then what happens? Well, it's all on you then. I agree with her, and I agree with her also in her correction of there's no security in this life, which is true. Understand, unless he strays from the path on which he has set out. If you stray from the path on which you've set out, there is no security. You will be, well, I guess that's not true either. There's security. You think about all of our servants in Hollywood. You know, the people who serve us, serve us by making movies and entertainments for us. They serve us. You should be laughing your butt off, but you're not. And that really scares me. We're serving them. And, well, you're serving them. And that's wrong. That's insane. Because you're not serving them what they need to be served, which is the gospel. They need to be served. And they need to be served the good news. And so how do you serve the good news? Well, you go and visit somebody in prison. I thought, boy, when I started asking myself, what would Jesus do? I was convicted. It's like these guys, they're, they're going to the prisons and they're going to hospitals and visiting people. And I thought, well, I haven't done that. Well, I haven't done that in a while. And then I thought, well, what was that? What about when that picked this guy up at uh, the DMV. I went to have my driver's license. And I, this guy there, and he's on crutches. So some guy comes up and he goes, you know, he's t telling the people who are on crutches or wheelchairs or whatever, that there's a special line for them, that they don't have to wait in the long line, that they have a, a special shorter line for disabled people because they're having problems standing, walking, all that stuff. So it makes sense. So I went to him. I thought he, the guy is talking to him, but he didn't seem to understand. So I spoke to him in Spanish and told him that he could go somewhere else. And he just kind of looked at me and then he responded. So I knew he understood Spanish because he talked back to me. But he looked at first like a little shocked, like, why are you speaking Spanish to me? It turns out he spoke perfect English. He had just gotten out of prison. He'd been in prison for 24 years. I said, well, listen, come on, I'll go with you. And I take him over to the other line and we talk. Anyway, I got his, got information from him and I went and checked up on him. He was staying at a, like a halfway house or something, you know, one of those things they have. And I went a couple of nights, they would not give me any information. But I just kept going back and going back and going back, trying until I finally got to see him. I was leaving. They wouldn't give me any information. I was leaving. Here he comes across the lot and he starts yelling, hey, hey, as I turn around, hey, how you doing? Gave him my phone number and he didn't have a phone, but when you get a phone, if you ever need anything. And I thought that was it. I was doing that. I was doing what Jesus would do. And then I thought about so many other things about people that I talk to and things that I do. And I think, yes, that is what Jesus would do. I am doing what Jesus would do. I may not be doing the ginormous things. I'm not raising people from the dead for sure. Unless of course you look at it in another way. I mean, far as I can tell, most of you were pretty dead when I met you. So, you know, dead in your, I would say dead in your sins would be a good way to put it. And then, you know, what have I done? Well, I've stayed with you for 35 long, hard years saying there's more. 
there's more to this revelation. There's more, there's more than you can imagine. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the wonders that God has in store for us. There's more. So I'm constantly trying to draw you on up, higher, further. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. What else is there to do in this job except what Jesus would do? Well, when you can't figure out, well, what would Jesus do if he had like a pile of money? I guess a lot of people never read the Bible because they did have a pile of money. They had a pile of money and Judas kept it. He kept the purse. He kept it. He was the treasurer of their group. He kept it. And there was so much money that he could pilfer it. He could embezzle it. He could steal it. And they wouldn't know. So what would Jesus do? Well, he would sell everything and give it to the poor. And he didn't, though. That's not what he did. So where do you get that idea? Well, I just make it up because it's really hard and, and I'm not going to do it and nobody ever does it. And that's why you're not Christians because you haven't sold everything. And bless you're starving to death. You're not a Christian. Well, yeah, okay. Unless you can think a thought, you can't prove to me that you've got a brain. That's not thinking a thought. That's ridiculous. That is just absurd, crazy talk. But, you know, absurd, crazy talk is what the world is today. And then some, some absurd, crazy talk. My gosh, I can't believe some of the things that people say and believe. Is today Saturday? Oh my gosh, I forgot to wear my dress. I'm a, I'm a girl on Saturdays. I go back to being a boy on Sunday. And on Monday, I'm going to be a... What's a... You know, one of those other things. Give me a break. Give me a break. That's crazy talk. But when you talk crazy enough to enough people, they start saying it too. They start believing it too. So that's why what I think Jesus would do is continue to tell people the truth. But they don't like that. Well, that's, that's true. And if you do continue to tell people the truth, eventually they'll kill you. Now, how do you kill somebody today? We have what we call the cancel culture. We cancel them. They're not allowed to have a PayPal account. They ha can't have credit cards. They can't have a job. They can't have a livelihood. If we can help, if we can manage it, they can't have a place to live. So we basically drive them out where we cancel them, or end them, or kill them. There's no difference. What's left? Kill the body. They will. They'll get around to that. This is where it's going. And how I know that is because it's gone there before. This spot on the tire has come around before. You know how you get a nail or a rock in your tire and you're driving down the street, you hear click, 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 click. And the faster you go, the... that's where we're at. Where we're at is it's just repeating, 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 because we never learn from what we have done. We don't seem to get it. But we're not here about what would Jesus do. Well, yes, we are, actually. We're, that's exactly why we're here. Even though she doesn't say it, that's exactly why we're here, to find out what Jesus would do. He spent whole nights in prayer. What was he doing? Was he messing around with the mansions? You bet he was. What was he doing? Was he contemplating God? Yes, you bet he was. It's really perfect misery to be alive when we have always to be going about like men with enemies at their gates, who cannot lay aside their arms even when sleeping or eating, and are always afraid of being surprised by a breaching of their fortress in some weak spot. Oh my Lord and my God, how can you wish us to desire such a miserable life as that? It would be impossible to refrain from wishing and begging you to take us from it were it not for our hope that we may lose it for your sake, or spend it wholly in your service, and above all, for the realization that it's your will for us. Who would want to live the life of a murderer or a thief? Not me. Not me. But there are people signing up for the jobs every day. That's amazing to me. They're signing up for misery. 
You look at the people living on the streets of San Francisco. How do they keep them there? How do you keep people living in their own excrement? How do you keep people living in that? Drugs. Give them free drugs. They can go and shoot up, get their whatever they're looking for, leave the needles everywhere. And then they like, yeah, okay, fine, this is fine. I'll, I'll do this. Sad? It's not sad. Not sad at all. It's planned. It's planned by the enemy to destroy everything. Everything that he can destroy. That's what Satan is interested in destroying. Everything that he can destroy. He's a spiritual being. He doesn't care about physical things being destroyed. He doesn't care about your body. He cares about your soul, and he'll destroy that too, but not without your help. You have to work hand in hand with him to be able to destroy what God has put in you. And then he won't destroy it. You won't destroy it. But you will get it into such a state that God will have to say, well, okay, and turn that pot back into clay. Extreme. If that is indeed so, my God, let us die with you, as St. Thomas said. For life without you is nothing but death many times over in constant dread at the possibility of losing you forever. What if you lose all your money? I don't care. I've lost all my money plenty of times. I lived hand to mouth for the majority of my life. It doesn't bother me. But the thought of losing Jesus, that bothers me. The thought of losing my connection with God, that bothers me. That's something to be afraid of. But this other stuff, he'll take care of me, always has. Well, you know, sometimes you get tired of peanut butter sandwiches, but if you stop and think for a minute, you can be grateful for a peanut butter sandwich, especially if you got some jelly, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich is even better. But I remember complaining, like an idiot, that all we had to eat was peanut butter and jelly. But now that I look back on it, and even then, I thought, at least we got this. And I figure, well, okay, so being in the ministry is tough. <laughs> you know, it's just, okay, you know, it's like not all of them, not all the ministers, not all the pastors, not all the preachers have private jets and three and four homes and any kind of car they want. Not all of them have that. Well, why is that? Well, because they're not successful. No, that's not why. It's because they are successful. The ones who are not successful are the ones who have all that stuff. Joel Olstein, Jimmy Swaggart, Jerry Falwell when he was around, and Jim Baker and Tammy Baker when they were around. I guess there's one of them still around. Tammy's still around, I guess. I don't know who's still around, but Kenneth Copeland. These people, they are not successful. In God's kingdom, they are not successful. They are only successful in Satan's kingdom, this world. This world is still under the power of the enemy, even though he's been overcome. You haven't. You still open the door and let him in. Meaning you, I'm not talking about you specifically, but you, the general human race. We still open the door to negative emotions. We still open the door to murder, to rape, to theft, to all kinds of horrible things. We think it's a good idea to get away with stuff like that and amass large sums of cash and power and reputation from people who have no reputation worth having. We're letting it in. It's on us. Satan talks to Eve. He says, well, that's not that way. It's going to be some other way. God knows that. And he's, yeah. And so she goes, oh, okay. Do you see, we let him in. All we had to say is, hey, buzz off. I don't want to listen to you. I don't care. Buzz off. What did Jesus say? 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness, fasting, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. You would think somebody would die from having nothing to eat or nothing to drink for 40 days, but I don't know. You would, I would think, was it Isaiah? You would think he died too, except ravens brought him food. Wasn't it Isaiah? Elijah, ah, I get these guys mixed up. To me, they're all the same. 
They're all wonderful, courageous, beautiful servants of God. I don't care what you call them. That's what they are. And that's the beauty of it. Their commitment to serve God in spite of everything in the world against them. That's what Jesus would do. And that's what I would like you to do. So get busy. She says, so I think, daughters, that the happenings we should pray for is to enjoy the complete security of the blessed. For what pleasure can anyone have when beset by these fears if his only pleasure consists in pleasing God? Remember that all this, and much more, could be said of some of the saints, and yet they fell into grave sins. And we cannot be certain that God will give us his hand and help us to renounce them and do penance for them. Well, this is something that the Catholic Church likes to do. They like to have masses for dead people. So basically, here's how it works. Now, I can say this because I was born and raised Catholic. Not probably still Catholics aren't going to like it, but I'm sorry, that's too bad. The truth is the truth. If you can't handle it, then why don't you embrace it instead of running from it and making up something else? You can live the most greedy, selfish, corrupt existence that a human being can live on this planet and then die in your sins. But you leave money, some money, because you amassed large sums of money when you were doing that. You leave some money for the church and they'll say masses for you and that will wash away all your sins. They'll do the penance for you. You don't have to do it for yourself. They'll do the penance for you. Then all that will be washed away and you'll with the mind that you have, that you died with, with the mind of corruption and sin and filth and greed and selfishness that you died with, you will now be able to enter heaven and pollute that holy place. No, that's not going to happen. I don't care if you say masses until hell freezes over. It's not going to happen. You will be held responsible for every idle word. You will be rewarded for what you did. Make no mistake. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. But I don't see anybody reaping what they sow. Really? Watch the Golden Globes, the Oscars. You want to see people reaping what they sow. You'll see a sea of misery. These people can't stay married to the same person for more than six weeks. They change partners like I change socks. When you don't sound crazy in this world, to the crazies, they don't sound crazy to each other. They, they talk to each other. They have these echo chambers. They talk to each other. They think, hey, let's go burn this building. Let's go break these windows and go in here and steal all their stuff. Yeah, let's go do that tonight. As soon as it gets dark, we're going to do that. Yeah, that'll be cool. We're going to get stuff. We're going to... I'm sorry, that's crazy. The new normal is the same old normal. There's nothing new about this normal. People have always murdered, stolen, raped, pillaged, burned. They've always done this. This is what the whole history of the human race is about. Except for one story, the story of Jesus Christ. One story. Somebody who is not like that, somebody who does not agree with that, somebody says, no, that's not the way. This other way is the way. Oh, but that's just a story. Well, it's a story, that's for sure. It is a story. You could say it's a myth. C.S. Lewis said one of his problems, I was telling you this before, his problem with Christianity was he was fighting Christianity because of all these myths he knew. There, were, there are so many myths about the Son of God coming to earth and dying and for the sins of others. and There's so many myths. And until he finally talked to J.R.R. Tolkien, Tolkien said to him, yes, it is a myth. You're right. And Lewis was like self-satisfied. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. He said, but it's the only myth that's true. The only myth that's real. He said, yes, it's a myth, but it's real. It's true. 
And then it dawned on Lewis that this was God's way of communicating with us. And he became a Christian. And he never turned back. And it did not really go that well for him. He had a rough life. He suffered. Because that's what Jesus would do. He would suffer. And that's what he calls you to do. Yes, the world will hate you. Yes, the world will persecute you and kill you. Yes, they will do that. Think about that. Think about the terrible, horrible life of Joel Olstein and his many persecutions. I mean, he's got this big church, seats three, five thousand people, I don't know. And they wanted to use it for something. And he said, no, no, you can't use it. He suffered for that. He suffered for his selfishness. That's what the world suffers from, selfishness. And you can too. Or you can suffer because the world is selfish and you're not. And that convicts them of sin and they hate you for it and they want to end you. That's the way it is. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it will continue to be. That's the way it was in Noah's day. That's the way it was when Cain murdered his brother. It's always been that way because man wants to do it his way. And his way is the way of murder. And God's way is the way of suffering at the hands of murderers because you refuse to murder. Rigorous has been the task that obedience has laid upon me. May it please the Lord that as it is being done for his sake, you may gain some profit from it and may ask him to pardon this wretched and foolhardy woman. We listen to this today. Nobody talks like that. Nobody talks like that. Nobody calls themselves wretched, foolhardy. That's a shame too, because I do. I say, Lord, I take refuge in you. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I have sinned against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. My iniquities outnumber the hairs of my head. And I had some girl at the gym told me I had a lot of hair. I looked at that and said, great, I got a lot of sin. A lot of iniquities. (laughs) Yes, sir, that's wonderful. I got a lot of iniquities. Oh, boy. I'm pretty excited about that. But his majesty well knows that I can count only upon his mercy. And as I cannot help having been what I have, there's nothing for me to do but approach God and trust in the merits of his son. She goes on to say, and of the virgin, his mother. You can trust in the virgin if you want to. That's fine by me. I don't have a problem with that. But there's only one name that has been given under heaven whereby men can be saved. And it's not Mary, the virgin. It's Jesus. You decide. I get it. You come to me for answers many times. You come to me for encouragement or for whatever. Whatever. What are you doing here? Whatever. You come to me for these things. So you look up to me. And you should. That's right. You should look up to me and you should come to me for the answers because I'm the answer man. That's who I am. That's who I've always been. I got a text from Connie the other What's that fruit that looks like dragons, green dragon scales on the outside and inside it's creamy white? Is it cherimoya? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, because I'm the answer man. Why is that? I don't know. I have no idea why I know these things. I just do. I guess I'm not into cognitive decline yet. Either that or it's just cognitive decline about the stuff that I think is stupid and doesn't matter. Which is not cognitive decline as much as I forget things because some people have a good memory. Great. I have a good forgettery. I can forget things. I know how to forget things. And there are things that you've got to forget. She says... There's nothing she could do about what she has done, what she has been. I cannot help having been what I have, she says. That's right, you can't. But you don't have to remember it, at least not every single detail. All you have to remember, yeah, yeah, like Peter. I I denied him three times. That was a miserable night. I suffered over that one, man. I suffered over that one. 
Paul is on the road to Damascus. I'm going to go get me some Christians. Mmm, Christians, Christian barbecue, yahoo. You know, better than Chick-fil-A. Bam, he's blinded. Here's a voice, knocked down. Has to be led into Damascus, you know, by other people because he's blind. Some guy sent to him, he said, go see this guy. Forget it, you kidding? I'm not going to see it. Go see him. I'm going to show him how much he's got to suffer for my name. Well, that's Paul's call. Hey, come on, I'll show you how much you're going to suffer for me. How many Christians would there be going forward on altar calls? Because they love their numbers. Christians are all mathematicians, apparently. They just love their numbers. A hundred people came to the Lord today. Really, how many stayed? How many of those hundred people actually suffered? How many of those hundred people actually said, okay, I'll sign up for suffering? That's how he calls people. Come on, I'll show you how much you're going to suffer for me. He told his disciples, oh, they're going to persecute you, kill you. They're going to chase you from house to house, synagogue, synagogue to synagogue. You'll hide in holes and caves. That's what he told them. That's what you can count on. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. But today, Christianity has been sanitized, perverted. It was being perverted back in her time, clearly. Sanitized, perverted. She was terrified of the Inquisition. A nun, terrified of the Inquisition. She'd been called in a number of times by the Inquisition and questioned. So she didn't like it. I wouldn't either. She says, praise him, my daughters, for you are really the daughters of Our Lady. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to go along with that. Yeah, and she goes on to that. I think that's great, but she's got way too much mother stuff going. I have such a mother. Do not be too sure of yourself. So David was a very holy man, yet you know what Solomon became. Nor must you set store by the fact that you are cloistered and lead lives of penitence. Nor must you become confident because you are always talking about God, continually engaging in prayer, withdrawing yourselves completely from the things of this world, and to the best of your belief, abhorring them. None of that gets you saved. None of that is eternal life. Jesus was very clear about what eternal life is. He said, this is eternal life, that you believe that my mother is a holy virgin. No, he didn't say that. In fact, I don't think he ever really called her his mother. He said, woman. And the only time that he ever said anything about the mother is he's hanging on the cross and he says to John, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. In other words, take care of my mother, will you? But for him, it was always woman. What, what does this have to do with me? The wedding feast, Cana. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. Not time for me to go public yet. I think she's wrong there. Don't get me wrong. I think God knows what she had to grow up in and what her influences were, but she's a humble, prayerful woman. And even if she's got some things wrong, how hard is it going to be for God to set those things straight? It's like when you turned in your first spelling paper and they went through with a red pencil or red pen and marked what was wrong. They didn't do that just to make you feel bad, <laughs> although you thought they did. They did that to correct you so that you would know next time how to spell the word correctly. That's why they did that. That's why they had the test. That's why they marked them. That's why they told you no, that's wrong. There is a right way to spell this word and there's a wrong way. Well, today we don't have that. Today, if you can't spell, that's okay. We don't really want you reading anything anyhow. We don't want you getting smart anyhow. So it's okay. You know, they wouldn't let the slaves learn how to read. Why? Duh. I mean, this is not rocket science. They didn't want them to learn how to read because what if they started to read? What if they got hold of books? What if they started to get ideas? What if they wised up? What if they got smart? What if they said, hey, wait a second, this is wrong. So they didn't let them learn how to read. And as a matter of fact, if they caught them reading, they'd beat the crap out of them. 
it was against the law to teach them to read. That's how far they went. He made it a law. You're not allowed to teach a slave to read. That's the way it's always been. Always people are oppressed. Always. But the thing is, what they don't understand is that you don't vote for the people who are oppressing you. The slaves didn't vote for their masters to oppress them. Oh, I wish he'd give me a beating. Yeah, he will, but you don't have to vote for it. You know, don't beg for it. You'll get it. It's just a matter of time. It's crazy. You're being oppressed by the rich. You're being censored by billionaires. Google, Twitter, Facebook, all of these Silicon Valley billionaires are censoring you. You're not allowed to say this. You're not allowed to look at that. You're not allowed to know this. No, you're not allowed. If they could, they would keep you from learning how to read. You don't think that's true, but you're only allowed to read what they tell you to read. You're only allowed to see what they say you can see. We all know from the videos that have gotten through from behind the Silicon Curtain. See, it used to be back in the day when I grew up, we had the Cold War, was the Iron Curtain. It was just shut off. It was an Iron Curtain. Nothing got through there. Now we have the Silicon Curtain. It's made of silicon from Silicon Valley. And it's billionaires or oligarchs or the wealthy telling everybody else what they can and can't do, how it is, how it isn't, telling them what reality is. So reality is now being reshaped. History is being erased. It is being systematically, deliberately erased. Because if you can control the past, you control the future. Because if you control the past, you can control now. And you control the future. That's what they want. That's what people who desire wealth and power and prestige and honor and glory, that's what they want. They want to control everything. It's an obsession. It's a disease. How do we get into these things? This is certainly a desirable state, and there seem no reason why they should be denied entrance. She's talking about, I jumped ahead. Okay, she's, we'll talk about that later, another day, because we're out of time. Truth is